0: Right, hello, and welcome back to Left Inside. It's Dermot back on host duty, bringing you what will hopefully be the first of multiple discussions around a few topics explored in the latest copy of Rupture magazine. In order to cater to those poor souls who haven't gotten a copy of the magazine yet, these will be more of a general discussion of the topics explored rather than an in-depth focus on any one article. So if any of these conversations pique your interest, you can find a link to the magazine in the episode description. Today we'll be discussing climate action and more specifically the concept of a socialist Green New Deal. And in order to do that, I'm delighted to be joined once again by Diana O'Dwyer, who has written a great article in the magazine titled, We Want to Live, Not Just Exist, The Case for a Socialist Green New Deal. Hello and welcome back, Diana. Hiya. How's things? Grand, not too bad. Good stuff. We might just get into it then. And I guess to get us started, you might just lay out what a Green New Deal is and where the idea originates.
1: I suppose it's been the idea of a Green New Deal has been floating around for nearly 10 years now. I think Um, it was Anne Pettifor came up with one of the original ones, Um, but it's really just become a lot more popular in the last year or two um, in the context of climate change like and you know, how do we prevent massive catastrophic global warming from happening um, at, while at the same time providing you know, yeah. decent living standards for people? Um, and it's a sort of uh, reworking, I suppose, a historical reference to uh, the New Deal in the US in the 1920s and 30s under President Roosevelt, um, which was basically a sort of a Keynesian program of state investment to get the economy going after the Great Depression. Uh, But what's different about the Green New Deal is that it obviously has an environmental focus and it's to do with um, a green transition or restructuring of the economy um, in order to combat climate change. And obviously there's loads of different versions of that and ours is a socialist Green New Deal. So it's qualitatively very different um, from Roosevelt's um, New Deal. Um, But I suppose there is that sort of historical illusion there with um, the other kind of new deals that have been proposed um, by kind of more social democratic people as well, like, say, um, the Labour Party in Britain has one, AOC um, in the US has one. And then there's another one by the Progressive International. And then even the European Commission have been getting in on the act, but they call it actually um, a green, a green deal, a new green deal, you know, because they don't right. even want that historical reference to yeah. the Roosevelt one because that's too progressive for them, you know. They don't want the kind of implication that they might be doing too much state investment or even be right. social democratic. Right. And it was funny, like um, when Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael were negotiating the program for government. You know, they had this kind of framework document that they negotiated um to give to the Greens as a kind of a teaser. You know before the greens agreed to get involved in the negotiations and they use the same phrase of a new green deal and mm-hmm. I remember reading it thinking have they just got this the wrong way around like because it's so like that they're not bothered about it at all that they just got the name wrong but then I realized no um this is deliberate they don't want this implication of you know this kind of history or whatever limited it as it was it was too progressive for them you know
0: yeah and I think the where the differences kind of bear out is the the policies behind it uh we've we're going to get into the kind of socialist policies and what that means later on. But you also, um, like, given that the uh, many would view the Green New Deal as, like, a largely American phenomenon, what would that look like in an Irish context? And how does it link with the international struggle against com- climate change that we've seen in other countries?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, climate change is the definition of a global problem. So Ireland doing this on its own, you know, wouldn't be sufficient to end climate change, obviously. Um, You'd need to have like Green New Deals in like all the countries around the world, basically. Um, You'd need to have it on a European basis and then eventually you'd need to have it on a global basis. Um, And that's actually one of the main areas where um, the current efforts under international cooperation, under capitalism are totally failing um because you yeah. just have all of these competing capitalist states and you have the rich countries you know trying to sc- trying to screw the poor countries and there has to be leeway there for less developed countries to be able to continue to develop their economies and improve living standards for people rather than everyone being held to the same standard of, of carbon emissions. Because it's obviously extremely historically unfair if that would happen when it's the major- the rich countries in particular, like the US and the European Union countries that are responsible for the vast majority of um, increases in temperatures over the last 20, 30 years, you know.
0: Yeah, you you might just expand on that in in that um, what it means for like the quote unquote advanced economies in comparison with like neo colonial countries, and you discuss this in the piece, especially in relation to like the differing targets and and how the transition needs to to differ for these countries.
1: Yeah, like. Um... I think one target that's kind of been put forward at EU level is and internationally is the idea of reaching net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Mm-hmm. And the idea of part of the idea of global solidarity put forward in the article is that, you know, that target could be remain there for low income countries, but for high income countries or countries in which certain population are the high income anyway mm-hmm. um yeah. like our own and, and the us um that there has to be much quicker movement towards that um so we need to move to like net zero by 2030 in order that there can be more leeway for low income countries um in terms of um, how they're adjusting things and um so i mean i think that's like a starting point for global solidarity but obviously there would need to be an awful lot more like for example at the moment like ireland's main role in the international system um in the international capitalist system at the moment is as a tax haven for international Mm -hmm. capital and in so doing like we're taking away huge amounts of tax income from um poor countries and sucking them into um the irish state and to you know the irish capitalist class basically um and that would be one thing that would need to change, as well as having these different targets for reducing carbon emissions.
0: Yeah, so just getting into to some of the concepts, uh, I think one of the central things that's often discussed and linked to a Green New Deal is the concept of a just transition. What is this and, and how is it achieved, especially through a socialist Green New Deal?
1: Yeah, I think one of the main slogans of this is the idea of no one left behind, that in having a transition from the current carbon dependent economy um, towards a zero carbon economy, um, it shouldn't be done on the backs of working people, um, ordinary people shouldn't suffer from it and that there's going to need to be a shift away from carbon-based economy. So like an awful lot of the jobs that currently exist, say in fossil fuels, um, like, say, for example, in Bordnemona is the main example mm-hmm. that we've come across in Ireland to date. Um, the workers in those industries are going to have to be provided with alternative jobs. And so it really, it's a chance to um, replace what exists with something much better for workers. So to replace the existing kind of carbon heavy jobs with good green jobs that are unionized that have really good terms and conditions that have high rates of pay um, and to provide free training um, from the state for people and um, also something I don't think I, I mentioned it actually in the article but early retirement for people who don't want to retrain to do something else um, at the end of their working lives or aren't in a position to do so should obviously be a part of this as well and you know you know decent pension rights and so on for people as well and um, that's also important for a just transition um and also within the idea of just transition i think it's this idea of um, global solidarity as well that you know any transition towards a green economy it shouldn't be disadvantaging you know um areas of the world or groups of people who are already at a disadvantage and like yeah. you know in broad terms it shouldn't be the working class paying for it um it should be you know capital the rich the wealthy that are paying for
0: it yeah and i think that relates back to those like that portion of the population being the biggest of like global emitters anyway yeah um, and the stat is often thrown around that the 100 companies making up 70 percent of the global emissions yeah but just going back to the role of green jobs in the process how do you lay out what green jobs are and how does this build on the common understanding by taking in things like care jobs and and the like
1: yeah, like usually when you think of green jobs, you think of like jobs in renewable um uh, energy and maybe in retrofitting houses or in I don't know cycling public transport. Um and it just so happens like that a lot of that those jobs are historically kind of areas that would be dominated by men. Um mm-hmm. they're quite like heavy industry construction jobs. Um, but there's also a whole other field of green jobs, which are jobs that are kind of naturally low in carbon, but aren't actually about, you know, renewable energy or whatever. They aren't specifically about environmental things as we would, you know, to normally conceptualize them. So jobs in areas like um, health care, um, social care um, for the elderly or for people with disabilities, childcare, um, education, but also stuff like even journalism. You know, these are all jobs mm-hmm. that just naturally are quite low in terms of the carbon that they emit because they're kind of service industry jobs that are about caring for people and looking after people um that broadly fall in the area of social reproduction, um, which is something that I touch on a little bit um in the article as well. Um so it's about really expanding those parts um of the economy um and reducing the the parts of the economy that are, are focused on kind of carbon heavy
0: um, jobs yeah uh, just touching on um, that concept or theory of social reproduction you discussed this briefly in the article and i think this is probably something which merits its own episode altogether and we should return to it in the future but just for now you might touch on briefly what this is and how it links in especially with the idea of green jobs in a socialist green new deal
1: yeah like uh social reproduction um it's a kind of type of marxist um, feminist theory um which to really kind of boil it down, i suppose it's the idea that kind of the source of women's oppression under capitalism is the kind of special responsibility that is placed upon them um for reproducing um workers reproducing the the workforce the working class um under capitalism. So in particular say it's mainly women still who have the job of looking after children um and doing housework, you know, to an excessive extent, you know, compared to to men or whatever. Um and that this kind of double responsibility that they have is oppressive um for them like it reduces the amount of free time that you have it reduces your earning potential it's a big reason why like there's still a gender pay gap and why there's less women in the workforce with all the implications for that for women for like getting involved in trade unions or for being politically active like it confines women still more to the domestic sphere um so I suppose part of what Marxism has said about that is that there's a need to socialise social reproduction and care work um, so that it would be provided for free by the state and that workers would be paid well to do these jobs. Because, like, one of the implications um of women's special responsibility for social reproduction as well is that they do all this work for free in the home in the domestic yeah. sphere. So that just kind of really devalues all of this kind of care work. It devalues everything that's about... um creating workers and by creating workers i don't just mean like biologically reproducing people or like you know wiping kids bums or like doing that (laughs) kind of stuff it's actually about like everything that goes into producing the type of like educated worker that can fit into capitalist production so um you know educating them through years and in school um keeping them healthy and vaccinated or you know all this kind of stuff um so there's actually a big role for the state already in social reproduction. Um, and then different aspects of that are kind of maybe privatised, outsourced. Like in Ireland, say we have a very privatised childcare system with terrible paying conditions for childcare workers um, who are, you know, on average only earning about €12 euro an hour despite doing, like, mm-hmm. you know, what everybody would say is, like, you know, one of the most important jobs in society, you know. But yet it's paid so little. And part of the reason for that is because there's this... um. I suppose like it's normal for women to do this stuff um in the home for free and this kind of crosses over into the idea that when you're being paid to do it that you also get paid very little to do it and obviously there's also the pressure from um employers as well that childcare can't be too expensive um even though in Ireland it is very expensive because mm-hmm. then that's going to put upward pressure on wages. And kind of the point that I make um, in the article is about how all this impacted on the pandemic, which is where like suddenly, um, because the lockdown happened and people were working from home, a lot of people, like essential workers, were obviously still going out to work every day and having even more difficulty in terms of dealing with childcare. Um, But suddenly you didn't have this, you know, childcare outside the home available. And it was just like, you know, somehow you're supposed to be able to mind your kids and do a day's work at the same time. You know, so this idea like of, you know, child care is invisible it's a kind of job you know that just happens somehow and like literally um Simon Harris I think it was was asked at one stage like you know what are parents supposed to do and he was just like oh you just got to improvise you know um get a dig out from friends and family you know it's just like you know it's just supposed to happen somehow and um it's really just it's very convenient for capitalism obviously that this whole area of creating all of the next workers who are going to come and work for capitalists and make all the profits and money for them that this is something that's just happens over here for free and they don't have to worry about it or else is done really kind of on the cheap in like privatized childcare area yeah. which in turn makes more profits for the people who run those businesses and stuff um so it's like it's a really interesting area you could write loads about but how this ties over into kind of the green jobs program is it's precisely you know a lot of these kind of this kind of care work that could be socialized as part of a socialist and um, green new deal and really just have like revolutionary impacts as well on the quality of life um, for people who have children if you have free public child care available to all um, it just opens up so much more opportunities for people in terms of how they can organize their lives and you know
0: yeah and I think on that point of like improving the quality of life i think that's a massive focus of the socialist green new deal that these things can be achieved without heaping more burdens on the working class or or just on on the general population so just then transitioning to um the policies behind it you discuss in the piece that a socialist green new deal of this um type would not only prevent climate breakdown but it could also be used to materially improve people's lives how would this happen and what what are the policies behind this
1: yeah um kind of one argument i'm making um at the, the start of the article is um that often when you have kind of um environmentalists talking about this kind of stuff um it's portrayed as you know we need, we all need to suffer for the environment it's almost like a religious thing you know um that you have to suffer Original sin. <laughs> yeah by reducing your living standards like that if you spend too much or consume too much that's like sins and then like your kind of good works your brownie points like with god or with the environment or you know how much recycling you do or you know whether you do green consumption like it's a weird really individualized moralistic approach um to this stuff and then on the other side um some socialists have kind of um been quite dismissive of environmental Mm -hmm. concerns and are just very much focused on kind of bread and butter issues or the way that they talk about um, environmentalism or the way they talk about socialism is like that everyone will have a basic standard of living, you know, which isn't that appealing either. Like nobody wants a basic standard of living. Everyone wants a comfortable standard of living, you know, which I don't think is incompatible um, with the kind of changes towards um, a zero carbon economy that we need. Um, particularly when you have like you know the billionaires in the world having as much wealth as the poorest half of humanity yeah. then you know everyone doesn't need to have a reduction in their living standards by any means like you know a huge amount of people can have massive improvements in their living standards um, if you redistribute the wealth and if you take control of the wealth and capital controlled by this you know small proportion of the billionaires um, and then but kind of combined with that is like not just defining you know how good people's lives are purely by material consumption Mm -hmm. um but the quality of life that people have as well like having more free time and that ties in as well with the idea of having um better public services um for people because um basically if you get more stuff for free through public services which in turn provide good green jobs for people Mm -hmm. um then you don't need to work as much you know to pay for you know, and um, things like childcare that cost a fortune, you know, on the market, or to pay massive amounts in rent, you know. Uh, so it has a kind of a knock-on effect. Like people, it's like the whole hamster on the wheel thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't need to run on the wheel as much because you don't need to make as much money to pay for stuff that should be provided, you know, um, on a socialist basis, uh, by the state. Uh,
0: I think that's crucial, especially now going into what could be a recession um, I think it's important when you're going to have so much retrenchment on people's quality of life and public services and stuff to make uh, like a counter argument or, or put up a contrast but just drilling down on, on a few of the policies that you discuss you discuss in the article like reducing the working week um, free public transport and things like this as environmental measures in themselves that's often I find that's not something that people connect that these types of measures can be can fight uh climate change and things like that. You might just go into that and elaborate on on, on that connection.
1: Yeah, um the idea of a four-day week without loss of pay which is it's crucial because, you know, um some some versions of this would be like just a four-day week but you lose a lot mm-hmm. of money, which obviously, you know, isn't attractive for people who, you know, can't can't afford that. Um but if people are, are doing less work, then they're creating less emissions or doing less commuting. You know, all of the carbon emissions associated, that could be reduced by a lot. Um, there's a four-day week um, Ireland coalition, and they estimate that it could reduce carbon emissions by around a fifth. Um, and like we've kind of seen a little bit of that already with people working from home. There's reductions in emissions mm-hmm. from commuting and from emissions from offices um but if this was standard like across the economy that everyone's only doing a 30 hour four-day week that you know could have a really big impact um and one thing i didn't mention in the article but like there would be a knock-on effect as well say like if you're working part-time you're doing 20 hours a week that would be reduced to 15 hours a week with no loss of pay because your standard week would be 30 hours a week you know um and just it really just gives people um much more free time um as well as you know, having those environmental impacts and you know, people maintaining their living standards because it's the same um, level of pay. Um, and then another thing you mentioned, there was the free mm-hmm. public transport. I mean, that that would be you know a real game changing. Um, environmental measure I think because if public transport were free people would use it a lot more Um, so along with the free public transport we're obviously talking about a massive investment in public transport and that's really the only way that you're going to really reduce emissions um, from um, private cars if people have an alternative mm-hmm. you know yep. Um, like I think that's one of the, the terrible things at the moment we're being told to avoid public transport like how do you do that like if you know <laughs> you have no yeah. other way of getting yeah. somewhere you know it's crazy
0: yeah. And I think that kind of ties into, um, especially when it comes to policies and like this, you always get the same thing. And I think you address in this piece, a question, which is always used as a kind of cudgel when it comes to restructuring society in a better way. And that's like, how is this going to be paid for? You make the, you talk about the magic money tree thing, which is a stupid thing that comes up quite often, but how, how would this be funded or, or where does the resources come for this?
1: Yeah. Um, i had some statistic in it yeah according to oxfam if you were to just tax the richest one percent of people globally by 0.5 percent over the next 10 years you'd have enough money to create 117 million jobs so green jobs seven including 79 million care jobs in education health and social care and like uh and that's with like a really minimal measure like a tax of 0.5 percent um. obviously if you were just to redistribute that wealth you know the capacity for what you could do would just be you know so much larger it would pay for a soldier's green new deal you know loads of times over um but i think i think maybe um there's a little bit of a point that needs to be made about this and that like the left would always say like oh you take you take the wealth of the billionaires like as if you're just going to take the money out of Jeff Bezos's bank account you know and it's just sitting there <laughs> in billions whereas like what it actually means is taking control yep. of the means of production that Jeff Bezos and the other billionaires control because their wealth is in like their stocks in their ownership of multinational corporations um, and in their control of all of their workers who are the ones who are making the money and making the profits for them so it's also about democratization of the workplace um uh, which is a key part of seizing control of the means of production and democratic public ownership so all that is tied is tied up with that that's the magic money tree is really like um seizing control of the means of production i suppose
0: yeah and i think that's often the issue the left's like approach to it and you see it a bit in other countries is is just to present like a tax and spend kind of approach but i think one of the most vital and interesting of the requirements that you discuss in the piece um is that of democratic public ownership of the key sections of the economy why is this necessary and and what would it entail
1: well i think the the main reason why it's necessary is just um, if you're talking about getting to zero emissions by 2030, which is what we need to do to prevent catastrophic um, climate change, then you just need this huge, massive structural change in the economy. And you just can't do that under capitalism because how, the, how you know, investment decisions, you know, what gets, gets built here, what gets produced here um, are just made by, you know, um, tens of thousands of individual capitalists on the basis of what's going to make me the most profit. And that's just not compatible with having this overarching goal of reducing emissions and that's why we're heading towards this total climate destruction is because you just can't square these two objectives they're just not compatible um and that's why in order to have the huge change that we need like public ownership and a a plan is is needed Mm -hmm. you know like you're not going to get there just by luck or by you know capitalist incentives Um, they're all just really doomed to fail like you can see that if you look at stuff like um carbon emission trading markets you know that they just end up all all being kind of gained and people are buying and selling um you know carbon credits and it's not working as a strategy for reducing emissions like nothing based on the market logic works that way um so what we need is like a democratic plan and in order to have democratic planning of the economy you need to own it to control it um that's the one of the kind of sub endings is we own it we control it if you want to have a plan to get from here to zero carbon in 10 years then you need to have um, public ownership of the most polluting industries in order to bring about you know um a just green transition in those areas so in ireland in, in particular that would be stuff like agribusiness yeah um but related to that as well um you're also going to need to have control of the financial system because you know that's how um investment occurs in different areas of the economy as well um, that would also need to be um, taken into control so really it points to um, public ownership of the key sections um, of the economy um but the the major polluting industries would obviously be a logical place to start
0: so um i think when when it comes to discussing the policies and all, I think that's great. But the most practical question that's always raised, and I think one that socialists are always grappling with, and it's a question that you yourself discuss in the pieces, like how is this achieved and how can we ensure that we end up with this version of a Green New Deal rather than the greenwashed one that we get offered by this current government or, as you said, by the European Union, things like that. So what is crucial to achieving this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the most encouraging things about the last couple of years is that you've had this development of, you know, the beginnings of a mass environmental mm-hmm. movement, Fridays for Future, the climate strikes, um, also Extinction Rebellion in different countries, including yeah. in Ireland, and like that's that's great, that's the beginnings of it. Um, and also, you have these other movements um, in areas like anti racism, you know, Black Lives Matter, and you had a resurgence of the women's movement as well, and you know, the repeal movement in Ireland, and then a few years ago, you had the water charges movement. Um, and all of these can kind of give a glimpse of the kind of people power um that you need to bring about major changes in society like i don't think we ever would have got rid of the eight amendment if there hadn't been you know the huge repeal movement if there hadn't been that pressure from below and we definitely wouldn't have abolished water charges either like you know the whole establishment was against that um but this is obviously a, a much bigger issue um and partly because it's a big, much bigger issue. Um, it means that it's more important than ever that you would have a coming together of these different movements and also that you would have like a, a central involvement of the organised workers movement. Um, because mainly, like largely, because part of what you need to do is to take into public ownership the key sections of the economy. And the only way you can do that is through the workforce, taking control um, of their workplaces um so we need to have, you know, a radicalization of the labor movement. Mm-hmm. And like for us in Rise as revolutionary socialists, um, really central um, to our whole politics um, is the recognition that workers have this kind of unique power, you know, um, that we actually have the power to control our workplaces if we're organized. Um, and that has the power to, you know, stop the whole um, generation of, of profit and redirect the economy towards social needs. We have that power in our hands if we get organised enough to do it. Um so that's basically the argument that I'm making at the end. And like that obviously sounds like a huge Mm -hmm. challenge. And you know, we have to start from where we are, which is by trying to build links between these different movements. And I think eco socialist politics are a huge part of that. Um that traditionally the labour movement hasn't been that great a lot of the time on environmental issues and even the socialist left has been quite slow to take them up as well um so we need to have a fusion of this um with the environmental movement um and get it away from this kind of association as being this kind of like middle class green party thing that's going to like hit you with carbon taxes and and make you suffer and make it a, a popular movement so i mean that's kind of what i'm i'm trying to help develop um in this article a bit like there's the different proposals for a social green new deal but really this is something that i'll have to develop organically from the kind of movement that can emerge from the environmental movement and the various other movements for um social justice and against oppression and the labor movement i'm sure that you know they'd come up with much better proposals uh, than i could you know trying to write this article but it's just kind of some suggestions in it for the kind of stuff maybe um that would be necessary you know
0: yeah and I think when it comes down to it the actual demands while you can lay them out here they will develop through movements like this and I think it's good to keep a, a perspective on where we are and that there is like emerging movements through Fridays for Future Extinction Rebellion is all extremely encouraging Um, so I think at this point we can probably wrap things up and I'll, I'll just say thanks a minute to Diana for joining me And to everyone else for listening, more information on this topic and, as I said, the link to the magazine where you can find this article along with many other great ones can be found in the episode description. We at Left Inside have buckled under the listener pressure and decided to upgrade our recording equipment. And in line with that, we're once again asking for your financial support. And we're doing a little fundraiser at the moment, and I'll put a link to that in the episode description as well. And we'd appreciate any contributions. So thanks a million for listening. We'll be back soon. Goodbye for now.